What's up, everybody? Harrison here alongside the illustrious Rick Holland. Uh, how are you doing today, Rick? I am good, Harrison. Good to be on. Yeah, good to, good to have you. Uh, so we wanted to jump on real quick and do a brief update after the events of the last few days in Iran. Um, so if you haven't heard about what's happened, basically in the early hours of Friday, January 3rd, uh, or late hours of Thursday, January 2nd, depending on where you are in the, in the world, uh, the United States conducted an airstrike near Baghdad International Airport, killing Iran's Major General Qasem Soleimani. Soleimani was the commander of the Quds Force, one of the country's most elite military forces and a pretty prominent figure within the Islamic Republic. Uh, so this has, you know, kind of escalated some tensions between the two countries. Um, you know, we're, we're a cybersecurity company. We kind of want to focus more on the cyber-related aspects of this conflict, you know, where it could go, where we're seeing it online currently. Um, so we just wanted to jump on and do a quick update around that. So we're currently working on a few different pieces right now that we'll publish to the site. So be sure to check that out. Um, and we'll probably link out to those within either the show notes or we'll put this podcast within a couple of the different blogs that we have coming out. Um, but yeah, Rick, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Um, you've been writing something today on this and why don't you just give us kind of a brief intro to that? Well, this happened Thursday night, local time here in Texas. So I was glued to Twitter. Um, this is an individual and a unit um, that I've tr tracked for many years um, after I got out of the military. Um, and I have some experience um, with Iran from my time in the U.S. Army. I'm working with CENTCOM and Army Central Command. So I'm a national, def in, in addition to like a cybersecurity geek, I'm a national defense geek. So this is kind of a, a nexus of two things that are very interesting and passionate to me. And so I started putting thoughts together Friday morning and I did a, a, a tweet storm. Um, I did a thread of a fair amount of posts and it got a lot of activity and comments and questions and things like that by force. So I just thought I would put it together in a blog, which is published now. So listeners, you can go out and, and as, as Harrison said, that'll be in the show notes. But what I wanted to focus on is kind of what does it mean to defenders? I don't want to, there's a lot of hyperbole. There's a lot of talking heads going out there. So really I just, and I'm not going to go through the whole blog on the podcast, but I just want to talk about a few of the things and observations I had as what it means to security leaders, to security defenders. So I think one of the main points that you've highlighted within the blog is around how, you know, we shouldn't be going directly to, oh my God, there's a big, you know, cyber war that's about to happen. Um, where so what should people be more concerned with then because i think that like you say there are a lot of talking heads that automatically jump to what's what's going on in the cyber warfare area um but that's not necessarily where people should be focusing their their thoughts right yeah for me you need to focus on a threat model um, because i'm not really a big fan of the threat du jour there's always going to be threats um you know Many years ago, around the time of the APT1 report, it was, oh, oh my God, it's, it's uh, China. And then we had, oh, my God, it's Russia. And now it's an, oh, my God, Iran type of scenario. And really, we need to be thinking about you know, the threats that are most relevant to our business, the threats that are most relevant to our business partners, the threats that are most relevant to where we have our staff working, where our office uh, footprint is, um, and looking at how the Iranian regime has targeted kind of look at victimology and see if we fall in there. Um, not everyone is going to be a target of Iran. There are some interesting comments that came up on Twitter on Friday around collateral damage, and I think we should dig into that a little bit as well. But really, you should have a threat model, and for you, your, your, your threats that could be higher than Iran if you're not in, 
industrial control systems, if you're not in banking sector, if you're not in supply chain or in in ICS um, operators, um, you're probably not going to be a primary target. You could be collateral damage. Uh, Let's dig into that a little bit more. But really, I think having a threat model and understanding and being able to communicate that is really, really important. And I would contend that for many organizations, um, Iranian threat actors are probably lower on their threat model. Higher, um, higher impact perhaps, but a much lower likelihood of, of something happening to you as a result of one. Yeah. So, so then let's dig into the collateral damage aspect of it. So what, so what do you mean when you say collateral damage in that sense? Well, actually, uh, Anton Chavakin, who's a, a Gartner analyst at the same time that I was a Forrester analyst, and now he is at uh, Chronicle or Google, he made a comment about collateral damage. Um, it's like you can still be hit badly. And what I wrote about in the blog is, yeah, that's absolutely true. We could all be collateral damage. And if you look at Maersk, as, uh, as an example, with NotPetya, you know, they reported a $870 million loss as a result of the outage caused from that um, ransomware, mm-hmm. um, from the encryptions that took everything offline. Uh, so you can be collateral damage. Uh, and, I, and I think you should have collateral damage um, from nation states on your threat model. I just think they should be much lower. Insider, th- in, yeah. insider threat could be a higher model for you. Um, if you think about specific activities, maybe um, cyber criminal account takeovers might be a higher um, um, item on your threat model. Um, or you may very well be a company that is in the energy sector that Iranian, and not just Iranian, but nation state actors are on your threat model. Uh, but I think you need to have a threat model that's unique to you. And I think looking at victimology of of the actors and who they target, looking at your peer organizations can be a place to, to include into your threat model. But then also, I say it often, and I've written about it before, is if you're a publicly traded company, you look at your, your SEC filings, your uh, Form 10K in the United States, and it has a risk section. And you can look at the risks that are on there, um, or you talk to the, to the risk management team and, and then see how might threat actors target you know, um, a customer reward system and who might be interested in that. Oh, it's cyber criminals. And so I just think we need a little bit more nuance than, oh my God, it's, it's Iran. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it may indeed be Iran, but it's probably much lower on the likelihood for most of the companies uh, out here listening. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's important also to point out, like you talk about kind of victimology and seeing how or who is actually being targeted by this. Um, Homeland Security put out an advisory where they actually specifically mention, you know, um, uh, ICS industrial control systems companies should be more, you know, alert at this period. They don't see any like actual, you know, uh, imminent threats. They, is how they put it. But um, since those are the companies that um, Iranian nation state sponsored threat actors have been reportedly targeting in the past, that those are the types of, um, you know, potential victims that should be kind of keeping a watchful eye out in this you know, highly uh, alert time, I guess. So in the blog, you talk about communicating up the chain of command uh, effectively. I think that's important within a high stress situation for sure. Um, So like, what about right now when it's pre-attack, right? It's it's pre before something happens to your organization. What does that look like within a non sort of crisis scenario? Well, you, you want to, as you so rightly point out, you want to do that when it's not, it's hit the fan, you're in incident response mode, you know, there's outages um, from extortion, whatever the, the, the case may be. So having periodic conversations with leadership in a normal period, maybe it's a threat brief that you're doing, or maybe you're taking 
the form 10 K's or you're looking at your annual reports or, you know, what the big initiatives for 2020 are, and you're going to roll out to a new region. And you're talking about how as a, you know, cybersecurity risk management group, you're going to minimize risk to rolling out new operations, deploying new capabilities, that sort of thing. Um, and then maybe highlighting, um, a, you know, uh, intrusions that were unsuccessful. Um, but just trying to get a regular cadence, be it once a year, that could be a good place to start once every six months, once a quarter, that may be more difficult if you've not done it before. But uh, it also depends on the level of, of management, your direct management versus board level is, are two different things. But just trying to get a cadence that is not related um, to these, um, it's hit the fan moments is really important. And then that helps you build rapport as well, because I think the relationship, if you have a foundation for with a relationship with the leadership of your organization, when it is a stressful moment, you'll have a foundation to work off of, um, which could be very successful in a trying time. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my point was that, you know, it the time when, you know, kind of downtime, we'll say, before an attack happens or before, you know, anything's going wrong, that's the time to be putting plans together and putting plans in place and putting, you know, processes in place, make sure they're documented, make sure everybody knows that, you know, what they need to do. I think even in this situation when say you're not one of these potential, you know, victims for some sort of cyber attack in this specific scenario, I think it's still a good reminder to be like, okay, let's think about like, what if we were one of those potential victims? What if we were in that pool? Um, how can we be better prepared for whenever we eventually do become in that, in that pool of potentials? Um, so yeah, so I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on. So some of the questions that we've been getting since the event on on Friday from our customers um, has been kind of around the TTPs, the tactics, techniques, and procedures uh, from nation-state Iranian threat actors. Um, you know, what are some of the things that we've seen? What are some of the things that people can do to kind of mitigate against some of that? What I would say on that is it's probably not too dissimilar from other threat groups, intrusion sets, whatever you want to call them that are out there. There's a, I forgot what year in the Verizon data breach report, um, but it may have been Wade Baker that wrote it in there. I don't know who wrote this line, but they had a line, a line that said, why use a cruise missile when the screen door is wide open? You know, why use sophisticated weapon system right. when you don't need to? And same thing applies with, you know, criminals and nation states as well. Um, and I'll speak kind of generically here because we're going to have some more content coming out in the rest of the week where we'll dig into some of this stuff with TTPs more, but Account takeover, account takeovers is something that we've seen our Iranian threat actor groups uh, leverage. Also, everybody else does account takeover mm -hmm. as well, which I have this kind of saying, you know, it's just do the basics. Um, it's more like just do the boring, it's whichever basics are boring and are out there because these fundamental controls is what you want to have in place. You want to have a, uh, a control that you're going to get a lot of value out that's going to help you against different types of attackers. So having multi-factor authentication, as an example, and we've done tons of research on MF, on, on account takeover and the benefits of MFA. So we've seen them doing account takeover through various um, phishing emails, through credential harvesting, those sorts of things. Spear phishing, which is a classic, also, again, breaking news, um, who doesn't use spear phishing. Um, and then it, with, with Iran as well, you see um, the wiper malware mm -hmm. demonstrated in Saudi Aramco with Shamoon, you know, took their corporate network offline, not their, their ICS network offline for, I don't know, a week, 10 days. I can't remember the exact time. It's still extremely disruptive. Yeah, very, very disruptive. So um, those are those are things there. The advantage is, again, most attackers are going to use these. So if you don't focus on you know threat du jour and you're just trying to 
handle the uh, the TTPs of 80% of the threat actors that are out there, you're going to be in better shape. Um, one of the things that Rich Gold, Director of Security Engineering, had written, I think last year, was mapping to the uh, Australian Signals Directorate, Directorate Essential 8, and I mentioned this in the blog in particular, but these controls are not sexy. They're boring, which is kind of why I label this section boring. Um, but these are the sorts of things that will help you out and minimize it. If I ran, you know, also, I wouldn't fall into the, oh, they're not sophisticated uh, mm-hmm. threat actors. It's a nation state. They have tons of resources. If they want to compromise a Fortune 500 company, they're going to do it. Yeah. So so don't believe the hype on they're not sophisticated. Certainly not as sophisticated as U.S., U.K., Israeli, Russian, um, Chinese actors. But they have, have grown quite a bit since 2012. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could definitely say Stuxnet was a driver for rapid acceleration and maturity of the Iranian you know, offensive cyber capabilities and defensive mm-hmm. as well. A- another area that we've seen Iran leverage in the past is denial of service attacks. We saw that um, in the uh, in 2012 um, against the U.S. banks, and they had success. Um, the Al-Qazam uh, cyber fighters, as they were known, turned out it was actually seven Iranians in the uh, uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps uh, that were indicted in 2016 mm-hmm. um, that were responsible for that action, but they used that to tank the banks offline. And we could expect, um, or there's a potential for denial of service attacks um, similar to that, but also I think hacktivists mm-hmm. um, that are not affiliated with the Iranian government, but they're more patriotic. Um, hackers could do that, and I know we might want to talk on some of the things yeah. that we've seen there. Yeah, so I mean, basically, you know, kind of what we've seen so far in terms of actual cyber, I don't want to say attacks, but just activity that's been going on. Um, uh, we'll, we'll just kind of classify it as hacktivism for now. Um, but there's been a lot of Twitter activity around the hard revenge hashtag. And this hashtag was actually used by the Ayatollah, Ayatollah uh, Khamenei uh, in his, basically his tweets announcing the, his statements announcing the, uh, the death of Soleimani. And, uh, you know, people have been picking up on it and kind of using it in different languages, and it's been translated a couple different ways. So it's either hard revenge or severe revenge, cruel revenge, it's kind of, come across in different in all the different languages that have been uh it's been translated into but you know this big hard revenge one has been the one that media has been picking up on and um you know hacktivists typically like to revolve around hashtags and they like to revolve around whether it's like op icarus which is like a big anonymous hashtag back uh, a few years ago um using these hashtags to kind of centralize their you know kind of motivations and centralize their their targets and all this um, we could potentially see hacktivists kind of rally around this hard revenge hashtag in the future. Um, not saying that this is something that we've seen right as of now, but right now it's been just kind of a lot of individuals that are using it, but it's kind of spreading pro-Iranian messages um, kind of across the social media platform. So it's definitely something that we could see in the future. So one of the other things that we see a lot with hacktivist activity is is defacements of websites. And basically this is you know, somebody taking over a website and then posting kind of their own, sort of like a graffiti tag, like on a website, they've defaced it and put their own messaging on it and typically a picture or something like that. Um, we don't we don't know who was responsible for this, but um, a pro-Iranian group took over the U.S. Federal Depository Library Program website uh, and defaced it. And that's kind of been the big breaking story that a lot of media has been covering. There's been a few smaller ones from uh, a couple other groups, which we'll include within the blog that we are, that I'm working on right now. 
Um, what what blog are you working on right now? It's kind of like a status check. It's a, it's a kind of compendium of stuff that's happened since Friday. Um, we, I kind of just touch on a summary of what's happened. You know, the the airstrike that killed the general, and then talk about you know has there been any actual cyber activity that's been going on? And the intent here is not to be political or anything like that, but it's really just to kind of have a centralized location that readers can go to to see what's going on with this event. Um, we'll continue to update the blog as it as you know events kind of unfold over time. Um, if if more cyber activity happens, then we'll update it. Um, but but it'll be a kind of centralized location that people can go to uh, to get just kind of some really basic facts that they need to to carry on and do all the things that we're talking about, develop their threat models, and see if they're um, you know within that. Um, I mentioned the Homeland Security Advisory already, but uh, this was an advisory that was put out on the fourth, and they it's it's a pretty basic advisory, but talking about what's happened and, you know, they specifically do call out the fact that Iran maintains a quote unquote robust cyber program and can execute cyber attacks against the United States. So it's definitely something that is on the minds of especially the Homeland Security, but of the kind of Intel communities in general. And it's something that people are keeping an eye on. So I think it's something that companies should also keep an eye on for all the reasons that we've already listed. So we've talked about threat modeling, you know, earlier, and we talked about kind of everything that's been going on. You know, what if I'm a company that has Iranian nation state threat actors falling within my uh, threat model? What can I do? Yeah, we kind of mentioned them, but some uh, the companies that to that, that this would be the case for, but ICS operators, supply chain for ICS, uh, U.S. financial institutions. Um, anyone that has staff in region and things like that. I think shipping companies or anyone that operates in the Straits of Hormuz or the Strait of Hormuz, uh, you could see Iran try to disrupt global shipping, not unlike with the drone attack um, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, they're trying to disrupt uh, global oil markets. Um, but if, if it is a priority on your threat model, you know you can do your hunting uh, for the actors. Now, one thing I think is important to, to do is you need to understand your own collection capability and you need to understand the collection capabilities of your providers that are out there. So people that are going to be best positioned um, for a lot of this work be incident response providers. Um, they're going to come in and be able to, to, to see techniques that are being used and then they'll provide those out there. You know, for example, digital shadows, we don't do incident response, so we're not going to have that visibility. Uh, we can track, you know, hacktivist types of activities. We can track so social media types of activities. Um, we could see any kind of chatter if there's chatter in the cyber criminal world where this bleeds over um, things along those lines. Uh, would be good areas uh, for us. And then in addition, we can provide overall assessments that are helpful, kind of big picture things if you're going to have to do a threat brief. Um, but once you're into your own organization, understand the general threat landscape and go in the hunting. So like MITRE ATT&CK is, is useful for this. You can do this on your own. You don't even have to have a commercial vendor. Um, if, if I look at APT33 as an example, the very first thing that they have there um, is uh, passwords brain to, to gain access to target systems. So that ties back to credentials and account takeovers. So deploying multi-factor authentication. So use things like MITRE ATT&CK. You can look at the techniques that the threat actor groups are using and then reconcile that to your security controls. And then you could even do a heat map and see, oh, these are the controls that were really weak in relative to APT33, so on and so forth. So I think a lot of people are kind of on edge. They have anxiety about when's an attack going to happen. Why haven't we seen any sort of large you know, cyber attack response to this? There is a saying that I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with called revenge is a 
dish best served cold. Um, and basically what that means, don't take the lack of overt Iranian activity uh, as a sign that reprisals aren't coming. Adversaries target on their timetable, not ours. So perhaps some people were expecting, certainly the media is on the lookout for um, big headline types of attacks, but um, Iran is going to target the United States at a time and place of their choosing in a way that achieves maximum political and military advantage. It's interesting. It's an election year. What if we saw attacks that were um, um, related to major milestones that are going to be happening between now and November? Um, a second reason, I think this is really, really critical, and anyone that's been involved in cyber operations, in particular offensive cyber operations, will get this. Um, it takes time to build out a campaign. So if Iran wanted to target the U.S. right now, um, they would have to leverage capability where they already are in environments. They already have implants in, um, and they could just execute. Um, if there's a target they don't have access to that they want to target as part of the reprisals for, for the uh, targeted killing, they're going to have to build uh, a campaign. They're going to have to scope out who they're targeting. They're going to have to have infrastructure and tooling, and that's all going to take time. So this could be a very long game. So we may get six months from now, a year from now, um, and you might see more impact as a result of some of their activities. It just depends on the objectives that they're hoping to to achieve. So um, for anyone that was thinking this might be over in a few weeks, I would not expect that, especially with some of the rhetoric coming out of Tehran. Yeah. Yeah, that was going to be my point as well, is just because you're not seeing the infrastructure being set up, just because you're not seeing you know, what's going on behind the scenes, spear phishing, emails being crafted, whatever it may be, doesn't mean that it's not taking place. Um, and yeah, like you say, it just takes time for some of that stuff to be built up. We've also seen some questions on this topic about when's it going to begin. To give you a look back, it's been going on. This is mm -hmm. obviously an escalation, um, pretty significant escalation, but this isn't something that just started. I mean, really, this started with Stuxnet um, and then has just kind of grown with sanctions and all the geopolitical things that are going on between the uh, United States and Iran. So this has been going on for a long time. This is just a significant uh, escalation. So is there any kind of final points that you want to leave the listeners with? I think it'd be a recap of some of the points that I've made throughout. You know, it, it's not about chasing the threat du jour. Really, as security leaders and security practitioners, we want to build a program that's resilient. Uh, to a variety of threat actors, uh, extortionists, uh, nation states can be a challenge, as I said, but you still want to be able to at least make their jobs a little bit difficult. So, so focus on your threat modeling, um, prioritize the actors that would target you, prioritize the things that you need to defend, and I think that'll help you um, come up with a much more sustainable and resilient security program. Great. All right. Thank you for joining us, Rick. Um, and listeners, we will be continuing to monitor, but we just wanted to give you a quick update around the whole situation, and we will check back in later this week.